Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who is the son of no one. Here's my co-host from the left coast and the bastard of young himself. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a member of the band The Wild Feathers. Their most recent record is called Medium Rarities. Please welcome to the podcast from Wild Feathers, Ricky Young. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Couldn't be better, all things considered. Absolutely. No complaints. Yeah. Premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question. I'm going to start with Wayne. So what t-shirt are you wearing? I had a couple of ideas, but I just recently finished the replacements biography trouble boys and they there's a very there's definitely some frustration with the band rem um in a couple of spots they feel and so in a true replacements fashion i did a little bit of antagonization of paul westerberg wore an rem shirt all right nice. love it murmur is that murmur uh reckoning reckoning that's good as well all right. How about you, Ricky? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, this is very frustrating because we just moved. Well, I, I say just moved a couple a couple months ago, and my wife is extremely organized, and I am the antithesis of that. And I kind of tend to be like the bachelor and throw all my stuff in trash bags. And but I tried to do a really good job and be really organized. And I was in Seattle about three years ago, four years ago, maybe, and went to a vintage shop and found um, a replacements Don't Tell a Soul original um, tour t-shirt that was awesome, almost see-through. Um, and I paid way too much for it, but I, I had to have it. Um, and I wanted to wear that tonight, but couldn't find it. Um because of the move so i just got dressed um in the dark this morning and i'm wearing this it's a not even a band t-shirt but it's austin vintage guitars that's um one of our favorite guitar shops in austin and i happened to buy it for our guitar player but i tried it on for some reason and it fit me perfectly so i just kept it for myself um but i told him that i bought it for him you know i had good intentions um but yeah, it's not a band t-shirt, but it's music related, I guess. The thought that counts. Good. Yeah, it is. I've bought a couple t-shirts for Wayne. I'm not going to tell him which ones. And then I wore them. <laughs> and I realized I love them more. So. It happens. And Wayne doesn't need any more t-shirts anyways. We, we, were, we were talking about this while you were on vacation, Wayne, for, for an episode. And um, uh, I, I was mentioning... I'm like, I think Wayne has been on like 140 of the episodes that we've done so far. And he has not repeated any t-shirts in any of those episodes. It's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. So can you tell that he's a bachelor and he lives by himself? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a closet to myself. Yeah, exactly. That is an advantage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I am wearing um, I'm wearing one of my Toad the Wet Sprocket t-shirts. I was hoping that's what that was. And I have no idea how that uh, ties into the replacements or Wild Feathers at all. But um, 
whatever. It's all good. Hey, Wild Feathers, I would say that I was, I grew up listening to Toad Wet Sprocket, especially the Dulcinea record. I really liked a lot. And, um, and I would venture to say that those guys listened to replacements at one point or another. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. So Def- it's all, it's all relative moment. Definitely REM. Definitely REM. Yes. You, uh, yeah. Yes. Dulcinea, Wayne was on that episode with us. Um, and I'm still getting, Wayne, I'm still getting messages from, from fans of Toad telling me how ridiculous your scores were for the Dulcinea record. <laughs> so. Haters. And Wayne, Wayne's just smirking. He's not even saying anything because he, <laughs> he knows. He knows. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, Ricky, I feel like an apology is in order because um, I absolutely loved your guys' first record, the self-titled record mm-hmm. from, what, 2013? Yeah. I played it all the time, but I didn't spend enough time with the second record. I kind of dropped off. And, and now that I've spent... Typical. <laughs> now that I've spent time <laughs> with uh, Medium Rarities and the one right before Greetings from Neon Frontier, I'm seeing the error of my ways. So, um, mm-hmm. so. I do want to ask you about that second record and may, and hopefully I'm not a jerk by asking this was the record label for the second album. Were they trying to make you guys into like a modern country band? No, that's a really good question. Um, that happened later. In life. Okay. What I think happened, and this is funny and I'm glad that you brought that record up because I feel like that record gets either people think it's our greatest album or they think it's like this crazy departure, which for me personally, it could not be any cl- any further from that as far as the departure goes. Okay. Um, we made the first record with Jay Joyce and the second record with Jay Joyce, as well as the third greetings with Jay Joyce. Jay is a genius on so many levels, and he didn't introduce me to the replacements, but he really talked about them a lot and if you met jay if he told you that he was in the replacements you would totally believe him he's the right age he has the right look he has definitely the right attitude um and he just he could either be in the replacements or or a cast member on like shameless you know what i mean that makes sense um he's just one of those incredible characters um and he would always reference the replacements on that second record. So a lot of times we would actually pull up replacement songs or Westerbird songs in the studio and not try to rip them off. But we always set up like our gear and stuff and like kind of start the day with music playing through the mains, like in the, in the tracking room. Um, so we'd yeah. put on, you know, please to meet me or, or anything really, or you're like, you know, some Pink Floyd records, um, which we got heavily accused of ripping off, which we did. We purposely went for a lot of Pink Floyd stuff, um, unapolog- unapologetically. Um, but no, they didn't, they didn't want us to be anywhere near mainstream country at the time. If anything, they really wanted us to veer away from like that Americana thing um and be more like an alternative rock band um okay and that was kind of annoying but also kind of i kind of was on board with it because 
on the first record, we just got Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. And that just annoyed the hell out of me. Um, I just wanted to like, and it's what every band does. You know, they make a great first record or a good one or just their first record. And then they want to do something completely different on the second. Um, so that's what we did. Yeah. But all we did really was just experiment more. I mean, the songs are still your standard Wild Feathers whatever songs. We just kind of use the studio as more of an instrument um, as opposed to the first record where we just like mic'd everything and, you know, we use synths and a lot more electric guitars. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. It's going to be one of those records that will always kind of stand out because I love it and I listen to it. I don't ever like, I haven't listened to it in forever, but when I do, it's like, man, we did some stuff there that was challenging. I remember it being kind of tough to make. Um, but yeah, it's one of those that will kind of stand out whether you hate it or you like it. It's one of those, you know, do you play many of the songs live off of that record? Uh, I'm trying to think we play. I feel like we're getting so old now. We have so many songs that we have to kind of fit into an hour and a half. Um, That's a good, good problem to have, right? Yeah. I don't mind it too much. Help me out. I think is one of those. Uh, We definitely play um, goodbye song, which is the one we, we get a lot of pink Floyd flack for, but um, because it's kind of like a jammer and it's kind of spacey and it's a kind of a fan favorite, you know, and it's, it's cool to see those fans light up when you start that song because you know, Oh, they like that record. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, right. And not everyone's right. just screaming, scream, screaming the ceiling. The or, right. I kind of like that. Um, yeah. So let's go, let's go back away. So how did the band come to be like you guys were, if I remember correctly from years ago, um, you guys were in a whole bunch of different bands and then you kind of came together. Is that, is <laughs> that accurate? Yeah. Joel and I both lived in Nashville and he was running his thing and I was doing mine. And uh, we kind of just started hanging out and got the idea that we kind of wanted to do like a CSNY kind of thing. Multiple singers, kind of like Traveling Wilburys, you know, um, kind of situation. Yeah. And we were hanging out in Austin, Texas, where Taylor was living and met him through a mutual friend. It was kind of like a kind of evening get together at someone's house and there was guitars and we kind of sat around and started playing and he kind of had that thing. First of all, we clicked as humans first and then um, he started singing and it kind of blew us away and it was kind of like the missing link. And then we started making demos immediately back home in Nashville. He would drive up and stay for like a week and, you know, vice versa. We drive down there and write and record um, and it's one of those stupid things that you never think is going to happen. It would never happen again to us. But uh, immediately we got kind of, um, well, Interscope Records kind of got wind of it. And they kind of like scooped us up, sort of flying us out to L.A. to make demos um, with Dave Cobb, um, pre-fame Dave Cobb you know, like he was doing great stuff for like Jamie Johnson and like Shooter Jennings and all that. Uh, But he had a cool house studio in Silver Lake and we would fly out there and they put us up in these crazy hotels. I mean, we, you know, we're in our twenties and 
like they're paying for us to come out here and they're giving us money to spend and we just couldn't get over it. You know, we were so stoked that it was happening and just praying it wouldn't end. Um, so we signed a short-term agreement with them. Uh, and that lasted about six, eight months. Uh, you know, we were flying to London, riding over there, Toronto, all kinds of places and getting paid to do it. It was unbelievable coming from struggling and working, you know, waiting tables and stuff. And, um, yeah. and then our attorney called and it's like, Hey, um, uh, just want to let you know that Interscope's not interested in working with the WAP others anymore. So they're going to go ahead and just drop you. And it was just like, God, son of a bitch. And it, it, it just kind of blew our minds that it happened that quick. And then I was like, Oh, this is how it happens. But immediately when we hung up with our attorney, our a and r guy at interscope called and said i can't say anything don't freak out it's gonna be okay just give me some time so ended up what ended up happening is he went back to interscope and fought for interscope to um drop us they didn't want to drop us but our a and r guy wanted them to because he knew he was leaving and he wanted to take us to what he thought was going to be a better home um, oh. so after about four, five months of going back to work, I mean, I literally went back to work and I got a job at a golf course cutting grass, which I kind of loved, but you know, a big fall from, you know, sure. four seasons and, <laughs> and, uh, but it was okay. Yeah. And then we got a call and he had said that he was at Warner brothers now and he wanted to sign us. So we were his first band to sign at Warner brothers. So it was a really great thing he did for us. I mean, it was, um, amazing and we're forever grateful. He's always been, and still is a big champion of the band. Um, so yeah, you guys are still at Warner brothers, correct? No, 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 we're not. Oh, okay. But we can get to, we, yeah, no, all good. We can get to that. that. Uh, but we, we signed, uh, yeah. But we literally signed the physical contract the day we started recording with Jay uh, on the first record. So it was all like, wah, 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 and then fall, and then it was really depressing, and then wah, 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 and then it just kind of hasn't stopped. I mean, there's been several lows <laughs> since, but um, yeah, it's been a crazy trip, man. Almost 10 years. So it's kind of where we are. Now, how do you guys kind of keep it together? Because you, you brought up the Eagles comparisons, which... I don't, I don't completely get, but mm-hmm. I, I get it. As soon as you have like harmonies, mm-hmm. you know, you get lumped in with, you know, Jayhawks, which we'll talk about blue here in a, in a minute, but, um, you know, CSN right. and, um, the Eagles. So how do you guys keep that together? Because that one of the things that broke all of those bands apart were kind of the, the egos of, one voice wanted to kind mm-hmm. of be a little higher than the the other voice, stand out more than the other voices. How do you right. guys keep that together? I don't know. I mean, I think we're very fortunate because we all are very aware of where we come from and where yeah. and how we got here. Um, and our kind of mission statement from day one was that we're not going to be afraid of success however that might be as long as we're all on the same page and we can lay our heads down at night we are not afraid of taking it to the next level that's why we've tried a bunch of different things and failed and succeeded um 
but yeah, I mean, we're so fortunate because we're all super close. Um, like we hang out a lot, almost too much if you ask our wives, but our wives are all close and like best friends. So it's like this one big family and, you know, and two with like the COVID stuff going down, like our bubble is just kind of like our family, you know what I mean? So we can still work. We don't really, we don't do anything. We didn't really do anything before COVID really anymore, but since kids came into the picture, but, uh, yeah, we're just, you know, we just like each other. And I think we're all just trying to win, you know, like, I don't think any of us wanted to be celebrities or stars. Um, and I think when that kind of starts happening and one person's getting more fame and attention, why is he on the cover of this? Or that's when the kind of stuff gets stupid. Um, we just kind of want to keep making a living, you know, Absolutely. have a career, a long career. Um, I mentioned blue. You guys covered that on the medium rarities album. That that's perfect for a band yeah. like your guys is with focus on the harmonies. Wayne, you mentioned to me one of the songs off of medium rarities that you've been rocking. Which one was that? Uh, well, the, I like the second one. Uh, is it heartbreak heartbreaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, a rocker. I, I looked through, I I thought it was, I was convinced it was a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song. I actually mm-hmm. was looking through oh, yeah. the, pre- the first the first few albums to, to hear their, the original version uh, and eventually, but I, I would, I don't want to skip Blue because I thought that was a great, I, I can see you guys getting Jayhawks comparisons and there's mm. nothing, that's, that's not an insult. I thought it was a little bit of a lean into it and I would say Blue is probably one of my 50 favorite songs. Yeah, just one of the best songs ever. Right. And there's so many Jayhawk songs that we know and could have cut and uh, could have done. But when we decided to do that, it just worked. And Gary Loris has become a friend. We actually wrote a couple songs with him. Um, One is American off the first record. Gary Loris wrote that with us. And, uh, we also wrote a song called Backwards Women, I believe the same day that he put on uh, a Jayhawks record. I forgot what it's called, but it came, it's like two releases ago. Okay. So I, so I have a Jayhawks cut, which is like something to me that just blows my mind. Growing up as a little kid listening to Jayhawks. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's just crazy. And when, he, when the record came out and, and he heard Blue, he texted me. And it's just like, you know, he's one of my heroes. So pretty cool. So much, but you 
Did I read that you guys are going on tour with Blackberry Smoke and the Almond Betts brother Betts band? Yeah. The creek don't rise. I mean, we um it was booked for last yeah. year and obviously that didn't happen, but they just kind of picked it up and and uh dropped it uh, into this year. And as of right now, everything's looking like it's going to happen. Um, they're all in sheds and amphitheaters. Okay. So I'm, sh- I'm sure they're like doing something, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I'm assuming they're doing the socially distanced thing because I, I looked at, um, I looked at your yeah. only Florida stop in Jacksonville and it's nearly sold out. Tickets are like over my budget. Um, yeah. Cause you know, Wayne, we have a podcast to produce. Well, hey, maybe I can throw you on the list. All right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, hit me. Up. I can, I can put you on the guest list. Just don't breathe on me. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll be masked up. I'll <laughs> be masked up. Um, but yeah. that seems like a that seems like a real sweet sweet spot for you guys. I mean, we we brought up the you know the um, the the harmony type things and um, that I guess you didn't want to be a modern country band. I mean, if you're going to go with the like the outlaw mm-hmm. music of, uh, I don't think there's anybody better right now than Blackberry Smoke in that regards. Yeah, and they're such sweethearts, and we've done some shows with them last year. We did a bunch of like uh, minor league ballparks, um, oh, cool. which were extremely distanced, and it was so weird. But it was on a big stage, and it felt you know like a show. Um, so that was great. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean. <sighs> that's kind of been our push and pull over the years is are they a country band? Are they a rock band? You know, and we don't know and we don't care. You know, we really don't. I love country music, you know, if we're talking about country music. Um, and I love rock and roll. I love punk rock. I love all that stuff that just, I absorbed everything. Like I love good R and B and, you know, just good quality songs are, I'm a fan of, and that's everybody in the band. I mean, and we all share different and similar tastes and influences. So, um, I feel like their fans will dig it and get it. So we'll see. Yeah. Why, why can't you be both? Why can't you be country and rock and roll? I mean, we talked about Eagles and we talked about, yeah, I mean, they were, they were both right. Mm-hmm. Still are for the jail. Yeah, I think it all boils down to radio. Yeah, yeah, I think it all boils down to like, what can they do with you on radio, and where will you do well on radio? Because if you're doing well on radio, you're going to do well. Period. And yeah. um, for the most part, you know. So you know, some people in our on the business side really wanted us to do like on the second record, like alternative radio, which that's where we were at that time, like in our heads. And then, you know, you get a little older, you get a couple of years under your belt and like, and it really just depends on what you're listening to and what you're into when it comes time to record, you know, um, that plays such a huge part in how you're going to approach your songwriting and your recording. So it really is just, you know, where we are. Um, and that's kind of what medium rarities did is just kind of like threw together all these kind of songs that might've slipped through the cracks over the period of time. 
and we put them onto one, which to me makes a pretty good collection of songs, in my opinion, if I may say so. I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, did did we address the Warner Brothers thing? No, but I'm happy to. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm curious. I, mean, I wouldn't have brought it up had you not gone, oh, well, yeah, no. <laughs> no, we... Uh, no, it's all good. We um, so it's just so crazy, and it sounds like a it's not a pity party or like oh, this poor guy and this poor band. But like at the end of 2018, we were coming to a point where we've been playing. It was kind of like post of the country push. You know what I mean? We kind of just thought. Well, if, if rock fans think we're country and country fans think we're rock, like, why don't we, you know, just swing for the fences and try to get a song that we're not ashamed of, that we didn't sell our souls for, um, played on country radio because that would help us out tremendously. Um, so we went for it unapologetically. Um, and it sucked. It sucked so hard, that whole world for us. It doesn't, I'm not speaking for anyone else. I'm just speaking for my band. Yeah. It was God awful. You know, just that part of the business. Everyone says the music business is slimy. It is, but that's a whole nother level of slime, in my opinion. Uh, And it didn't feel right. You know, this, (laughs) you can deal with some slime if you're into it. You know what I mean? Um, so we decided we weren't happy anymore. We didn't want to do this. We The shows weren't fun. Playing some of these country festivals that people were literally like blocking their ears because our amps were facing forward so they could hear it. Not a bunch of dummy amps on stage and a hot dude running around with a microphone basically rapping. Um, I'm, I'm doing a little venting right now, but uh, <laughs> we... Uh, <laughs> we just weren't happy, you know, and we went back to our management and to our booking and said, you know, we don't want to go this route anymore. We want to go back to playing to our fans and small little sweaty clubs and do what makes us happy. Well, we told our booking agency that, and they said, well, you know, we've kind of feel like it's our time's kind of run its course. We should probably part ways. Okay. That sucks, but okay. Um, Right after that, Warner, um, you know, it was come come times like if they're going to pick up the option for another record, and they just weren't feeling the previous one, um, and kind of said, you know, I think we're just going to part ways as well. Okay. So I was like, okay, damn. Well. Um, this is a lot and it's all happening around like the holidays. And then I think January or February, we got on a call with our management and they're like, yeah, we're just going to, I think it's time that we just part ways as well. So we're like, <laughs> sweet. Okay. This is awful. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You know, at least we have each other and we have songs and we'll figure out something. Yeah. But then the tornado hit in Nashville yeah. and then the pandemic and they were like, oh, damn, we can't even get together because we didn't know, you know, what all was happening. So that's when the whole um, 
medium rarities thing came, um, the idea came because Joel keeps everything in his studio on hard drives, like all of our songs, demos, like anything. Yeah. And we just started going through them and he started putting sequences together and we all agreed on it. And fortunately we found new management over, um, at red light with a great team over there. And, uh, we put together this plan to put out this record on our own. Um, and it's done really well for us. We've sold quite a bit, you know, for what you can sell on vinyl these days. But, um, and in December of last year, we went to a cabin in Van Laird, Tennessee, and recorded 14 songs in four days and uh, ourselves produced ourselves, did everything ourselves, came back and we've been doing overdubs in Joel's studio. Um, and we started talking to a couple of labels and we're a couple of days away from signing a new record deal awesome. um, and putting a record out this year. So we're pretty happy. We set out to make a record ourselves and with the hopes that you know someone would pick it up and we'd put it out and it's kind of worked out perfectly so far i don't want to put the cart in front of the horse just yet but all things are pointing to you know it working out the way we want to so all right so so when i see you in jacksonville with yeah. those um comp tickets that you're gonna get me um so so uh i'm gonna hear some mm-hmm. i'm gonna hear some new music then from, you got it all right I'm looking forward to yeah yeah Very i would cool. assume so given how long our set time is you know it's like fitting five albums in a 40 minute set can be kind of tough they're only giving you 40 minutes oh i don't know okay. i don't know okay. but um i'm just saying depending on the set yeah. time yeah. yeah all right cool all right looking forward to that so, so that's my life story. <laughs> that's <it. laughs> Wayne. Anything else on Wild Feathers before we uh, talk about the record that Ricky chose? You know, I I only got I listened to a, a lot to uh, readings from the Neon Frontier and obviously mm-hmm. Medium Rarities, uh, but I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go back and get those other ones then. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Greetings too. I, I think that was a fun record to make. That's that's my favorite of yours. <laughs> cool. Thank yeah. you. All right. So Ricky, tell us what, what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I chose to revisit Tim by the replacements. Okay. So any other records that you thought of? Kind of weird for a country for a country rocker. Um, I wanted to do, I thought about doing, um, uh, monster by REM. That was a big record for me. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I thought about I thought about doing and I think it'd be interesting to talk about too because it's one of those records that uh, people are like oh my god I can't believe you love that or it's it's been so long and it's such a great record was um, August and everything after by the Counting Crows because I could talk about that for days you know um, that or recovering the satellites I, those are records were big you know that was my time as a teen and adolescent and kind of coming of age. So um, those are big records for me. Well, we already did an episode on August and everything. So, oh, that, well, there you go. So that wasn't, and enough. I saw that y'all, y'all just done one on REM too. Yeah. 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 Well, good. 
glad it worked out. I haven't done Monster yet. I'm 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 looking forward to doing that. Maybe we'll have you back on because um, I think that that I sure. think that record gets unfairly maligned. I I love Monster. Mm-hmm. Wayne might dis Wayne might disagree oh, with his so uh, reckoning T-shirt that he's wearing, but um, <laughs> I do I do prefer the earlier stuff. But I uh, yeah I don't. They're just a, that's a, just a great band. I don't really know. I, I really wouldn't say I disliked any album of theirs. Yeah. All right. So how did you discover? How did you discover the replacements? I think it was one of those bands that was always kind of around. But you didn't really, I never really dove in as hard um, as I might have should have. And I wish I would have at an earlier age. Probably better that I didn't. Probably kept me out of some mental trouble. Um, But like I was saying um, earlier, I think when I really kind of became obsessed, Joel and I, the bass player and other singer in the band, was recording lonely is a lifetime the second record um because we just started referencing them a lot and just going home and listening to it and and um so in a lot of ways i'm kind of like that old guy kind of poser that you know i can't believe you were listening to replacements like in sixth grade i was like well you know if i would have discovered them i definitely would have uh but i don't know we just started talking about like kind of paul's like vocal approach which i kind of totally understand way more now than i did then uh and jay would always reference like you know like voice would be like blah, blah. i was like i don't know how to do that like i'm not that cool and I, i'm not that pissed off and uh <laughs> probably not that hung over but um but i just i just kind of fell in love with them and i'm glad i did you know because it's been um kind of an obsession and a love affair since um and you know what the one of my the favorite my favorite things about that record is the is the is the diversity and the contrast between like here comes a regular to like dose of thunder where it's like it's like these balls out like spit in your face punk rock songs and then there's like these just bleeding ballads you know that even Paul was concerned about performing and recording and releasing, you know what I mean? I just, I love the vulnerability of that. Um, and I love records that are good start to finish, but they're not all just like pop, pop, pop in your face. Yeah. The same kind of Chinese water torture, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's just kind of what I fell in love with. And obviously like anyone West, you know, Paul's writing lyrically and, you know, kind of where he was coming from. He's so good. Wayne, when did you discover them? Oh, gosh. Smash eighth, ninth grade. Okay. Tenth grade. What was it? Uh, Let It Be was the first thing, the, the first album. I'm sure, I'm sure I heard songs in and yeah. out. But Let It Be was the one. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think that if, I can't, I don't remember listening to Tim until like 87. And that was, uh, you know, a couple of years after it was, it was out, but 
I don't remember listening to it in 85. I don't think a lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think a lot of people, because know. you, you discovered Tim when please to meet right. me was coming out and like, and that's what makes it's, it sucks for them kind of, but at least people are still discovering and people are still very much in love with it. You know what I mean? Um, Cause no one's really discovering like, Oh, I've discovered this rat record that like <laughs> just blowing my mind. It's like, you know what I mean? Uh, and I, I hate to, I'm not dogging that because I like that kind of stuff too, kind of, but um, when, when it's powerful and it's important, it sticks around. You know what I mean? Are you saying out of the cellar is not important? <laughs> it's no, just, but I will say this. It's so, uh, the, the replacements are just so influential, especially, I mean, Ben and I are in our early fifties. And so in the nineties was really mm. those that all, that's really where alternative was born. And, and it's born from this. I mean, I know one of Paul Westerberg's problems was how a bunch of guys in ratty Levi's and flannel shirts all of a sudden were the thing singing lyrics that were very similar to his, you know, Mm -hmm. with the punk rock edge and yet, you know, these really sophisticated heartfelt lyrics. It's like Mm -hmm. he, he literally invented that shit and it got him nowhere. And now they're all millionaire. They're rock stars uh, basically right off. And I get it. Right. And I, I completely understand that frustration. That would suck, you know? Um, but to be fair, and I'm definitely not going to ever talk shit about him, but like they almost tried. Well, I mean, um, did they try? I, I, yeah. I, tonight, I just finished the biography. Yeah. They I sabotaged did too. themselves. I did too. Well, a couple. Every, at every turn, I really, in all honesty, and I'm, I got nothing to back this up of my own feelings, they're, they ref- they wouldn't they couldn't be successful they they sabotage themselves so much yeah. and so often that at first i think it was being was is kind of a, they played it off as a practical joke but i think i i in all, like i say my opinion they did so much damage to themselves with a limited budget that i don't know if i i do believe somewhere that there's a fear at least through paul and maybe tommy that an unlimited budget could could literally kill them yeah. 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 It was like, they were scared of success. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know that, but it seems like it, like I, I, um, I finished a book not long ago either. Um, I picked it back up after we settled into the new house and I'd be reading it in bed. And I have to like stop and like elbow my wife. Like you got to listen to this, listen to this part right here. <laughs> listen to what they just did. Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. It just blows my mind. It just <laughs> I did that with my wife as well. I'm like, um, she doesn't really know the replacements. I mean, she knows that Westerberg is really important to me, but um, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while, I would read a, a, a little blurb from from the book of them sabotaging themselves, and and you know, her the look on her face of. Why would they do yeah, that? My favorite was definitely the the stuff off the Tom Petty tour. That that yeah. literally had me. Yeah. I couldn't stop laughing. Just you know, wearing their the the Heartbreakers' wives' dresses onto stage wives. and just going, "Fuck you, Nashville!" and "Fuck you, Tom Petty!" and I would be vacuuming their buses if I was on that tour. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I would be. 
I, I, I can't, and you're burning their per diems. Like it would burn like crisp $100 bills. And it's like, why? <laughs> I don't, but that's what, it is what it is. And kind of, you know, got all, it makes a good book. Yeah. It made for one hell of a read. <laughs> that's for sure. Yep. Our biography is going to be like, yeah, they're really nice guys. <laughs> and like, they're very polite and um, they weren't very successful, but man, they, you know, they said yes, sir. And no, ma'am. And, Right, yours is like hell of a book. Yeah. long. <laughs> yeah. it's one of those thirty-three and a half uh, books. That's that's your, mm-hmm. that's your total uh, autobiography. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 get some bio info on on this record. So it was the fourth studio album from the Replacements. Came out in October of nineteen eighty-five. Came out on Sire Records, which Sire was kind of the I would say they rivaled like the IRS records for alternative bands. Is that pretty mm-hmm. accurate? Except they were owned by Warner brothers. Was it like a, um, yeah, it was like a subsidiary of Warner, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like their, okay. it was kind of like their new wave boutique label type thing. Yeah. It had pretenders on right. it. If I remember echo and the bunny men were on it. Um, so yeah, they they had a number of of those those type of band uh, bands on on their label, and this was their first major label. So the prior record, which Wayne we we talked before we started recording, which is Twin Tone, and um, your favorite replacements record, Let It Be. Yep, that's on a Twin Tone release. Didn't have a whole lot of uh, commercial success. Uh, album peaked at number. 183 on the billboards <laughs> top 200. Um, I, I will say this. So when we bring up the bill, the, uh, the Rolling Stones list of 500 greatest albums of all time in the 2003 list, this was number 136. This is pretty funny. I think I know okay. you're going to say was 136 in 2003 on the 2012 list. It was 137th. And then for the 2020 list, it is, what do you think number it is? 135. What do you think, Ricky? 140. It's not on the list at all. Oh. So it's so replacements. Um, it, it's so the only replacements record that is on the new 2020 list is Let It Be, and that's out number 156. So there you go. Tim, Tim completely dropped off and um, yeah, that's, that's just an absolute travesty. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and my favorite replacements record is nowhere to be found, which is pleased to meet me. So that's, that's my man. Favorite. That's a hell of a record. Yeah. Um, the cover, the cover of this record who, which band band member is on this one, Wayne? Uh, Bob Stinson. You know the only visible one. Yeah, the, only. the only visible one. Oh, yeah, Bob yeah. is Bob, who would uh, eventually get himself kicked out of the band. Part of that is from the Saturday Night Live performance that they did, uh, which featured a couple of the songs off of this. That the Saturday Night Live performance was in. January of, of 86, where they performed Bastards of Young and Kiss Me on the Bus, which um, that included uh, 
them doing a little profanity, getting uh, getting a lifetime ban from Saturday Night Live. Um, part part of that part of that uh, part of that book was it brought up the fact that uh, essentially Paul looked over at Bob and told him not to f up and mm-hmm. for the guitar solo and of course the 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 microphones caught that which mm-hmm. um so Westerberg wasn't even trying to be like um you know uh controversial he was just basically telling bob um don't screw up our chance and <laughs> he then inv- inadvertently gets the ban um it sounds like the dressing room got roughed up pretty good. I don't think Lauren, Pro- yeah, Lauren Michaels there's, didn't seem very happy about that. There's there's more I, to I, it. I, yeah, there's more to it. I, I think I heard or I saw an interview. Was it G.E. Smith that was in the house band mm-hmm. at yeah. SNL at the time? I guess that Bob had broken his guitar that day or at soundcheck, whatever, uh, and needed to borrow right. one. It was just like this huge ordeal, like just like just train wreck of stuff that happened. And I will say we've never done SNL, but you know, late night and all that you're there all day. Like you get there at like seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock in the morning and you don't like film until like six thirty at night. And you know, yeah. we started drinking kind of early, uh, but we, we kind of rang it in, you know, get closer to showtime, but I can only imagine, but to be a little fair, I mean, you do get bored, but man. <laughs> Classic. Rain it in doesn't seem like a replacement <laughs> phrase. <laughs> no. Hey, so, or, or like, hey, I man, don't. take it easy. <laughs> that also does not seem like a, a, a phrase yeah. that they would take too kindly of. Yeah. You guys ready to do the track by track? You guys ready yeah, to dive sure. into this? All right. So, as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? 11. Means top song is going to get 11 points. Nick's favorite, 10 points on down to lowest score of one. And we're going to figure out what our top five is from this record. So let's let's kick this off with Hold My Life. This is such a great album opener, in in my opinion. Yeah, it sets the tone um, for sure. You kind of feel like you're about to go on a ride. You know, can I give you my number? Let's let well let's let's chat about lyrics. Let's chat about production. Let's uh, Wayne. What do, what do you got uh, as far as this? Do you do you feel like so lyrically? Not the strongest uh, song on the on, it's, on the record, but to, it's strong. But I think what I what I like and like I say, I, I agree that I think this is the best song to start with because it's got there's something sonically aggressive about it, but yet it still has this. Or it's very melodic. Um, the lyrics initially kind of sounded dark with that, especially that line about "Take my own life, uh, good die by my own hand." 
But when you, when I, the more I, I listen to it, it definitely, it feels like uh, apprehension about signing to a major label, especially that razzle dazzle line and about, about it changing their life. Yeah. So, and I know they had apprehension about signing to a major label and what that would mean. Uh, and I think it comes out, like say the, um, yeah, I, the, the bass comes in really uh, at the end, which I like. Tommy Stinson is, is I think an underrated bass player when you, but you consider he's been playing since he was uh, 11 years old or whatever it was when he joined this yeah, band. I was going to say 12 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ricky, anything lyrically on this song? You know, I mean, I, that's right on, um, right on point of what Wayne says. And it kind of goes back to kind of what we were talking about, about them maybe perhaps being afraid of success, like, and not ready for it. Um, and I think maybe just a little bit of that attitude that they didn't want to to let on that they were up for it, even though they had this major deal. And um, I don't know. It just seems like seems like a good song. Seems like a good premise to write a song about. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I, I love because I just might lose it. I mean, that just it seems to me like. Hey man, do me a favor. Can you hold on to this for me? This is too much responsibility for me right now. Like maybe in 10 years, I might be ready for something like this, but uh, it's almost like a, like a plea <laughs> for help. Like, Hey man, I don't know if I, I don't know if I got this right now. Um, but yeah, just, r- just right on with what Wayne said. Yep. All right. Let's get scores. Wayne, what do you got for a score? A six. And then Ricky. I gave it an eight. All right. This is my five. Next song is I'll Buy. I, I do have to ask. Wayne, do you do you think that this is a song about being on the road, or is there something more uh, to? You know what? It, there's there are there's a there's a lot of lines like that. I know they were big in Boston. There's a there's a line about give my regards to Boston. It does have more of that. Um, not maybe not maybe signing to a major label, but making it big and being being bigger and having uh, because they use a lot of. It's got this really cool old time Chuck Berry style, and it actually even references Maybelline. Um, mm-hmm. in it, but musically it has that, there's a lot of that Chuck Berry kind of old style rock and roll in it, but it, it does have a, there's, I don't know, there's something in it. It just lacks some of the inspiration. It felt a little bit forced. Um, and I, I took off a point for using retard, which I, I, it's just not, it's not, it wasn't yeah. even good to do in 85. Right, but we did yeah yeah and and once again i I, i'm glad that we're more politically correct yeah i uh it's and it's and that i guess that's one of the things that struck me as i remember being younger and you would throw that around like it didn't and with no malice really um and then you come to learn that that's just it's not cool and i and i didn't even i don't know how many years i heard that in the song and didn't even didn't even catch it that and the maybelline reference i thought that was I say, if you're going to sound like Chuck Berry, you might as well throw Maybelline in. How many times you get to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Ricky, anything on all by? Um, again, I'm kind of with Wayne there. It kind of seems like um, I hate to use this word because I don't think anyone, well, I'm sure plenty of people do it, but I, I hate to think that they would do this, but it kind of seems like a little filler to me. Um, like Wayne said, kind of thrown together a little bit. Uh, but I don't think that that was their attitude or where, where they were coming from. But so, sonically, you know, a lot of, and it was an 85. So a lot of the guitar tones to me aren't quite where I wish they were, but then there's other songs where they're right where they need to be. So I know they were there, you know what I mean? And I know that they were capable. Yeah. It wasn't like they were limited. Um, so that's kind of one of my, my, some of my things is just, you know, a lot of, some of the guitar stuff and I don't know, just, it's just always been kind of a song that I just haven't really, in comparison to the rest, doesn't hold up to me. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. Wayne, your score? This is my least favorite. All right. This is my three. And then Ricky, your score? This is my three too. Three as well. But I do, that's a hell of a song title. I love the title. Yeah, and I mean, the lines about not wanting to go, oh, is it, don't want to get pop, um, mm-hmm. and all the, you know, fight, want big bucks. I mean, yeah, those, the, that, that whole thing about wanting some parts of, of being famous and signing to a major label, but not, not wanting, not wanting others, just wanting to be able to buy the drinks for everybody, not really wanting mm-hmm. to write kitschy songs that get on the radio. Right. And I think that that's, that's the, the the quandary of this particular song of I think they were trying to write a song for a major label as opposed to writing a song that would be on Let It Be, for instance. Right. And I feel like, especially later on in their career, when they were, I feel like Paul was, when he was like admitting and, and really aiming and shooting for a hit song, I think that's the songs that suffered the most. Um, like any songwriter, when you're trying to do something to appease other people, and it's not coming from your gut. It just suffers, you know? And I feel like that it's a good, it's a, it's a good point. Maybe that's kind of what happened here. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Next one. Kiss me on the bus. guys heard the um live at maxwell's album i have not i know wayne has yeah i love i love that because it shows the garage band sensibilities as opposed to the you know the polish that this album has um still has the replacements early sensibilities but there is a polish to it but if you listen to the the live version on that live at maxwell's album you you kind of hear how this is essentially it's a garage band type of type of song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little more punk rock when you hear it from on the live version. 
even though it's kind of a goofy song. You know, that, and that's what I love about the song is that the, the title sounds silly. It's even kind of uh, uh, bouncy musically, but there's uh, the lyrics are completely heartfelt. Like this is sincere in every way. Like there's no subtext. Like I do know I had, I had read something about, you know, he, he rode the bus to work and he'd see there were more than one time and he'd see these girls on the bus and he, that he, that he'd either talk to or not talk to. And he captures it all. It, like I say, it comes off very sincere, even though it, it sounds silly and it even kind of has a bouncy feel to it. It, it, it isn't silly and it, it's, it's very heartfelt. And like I say, this, I can see where, dyslexic heart and stuff like that from his Mm -hmm. in, in the future is Mm going to come from. But it's not Paul's best song that's inspired by riding the bus. That's skyway. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I like the, I like the lines of, um, if you knew how I felt now, you wouldn't act so adult now, hurry, hurry, here comes my stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just, Paul was the, a master of these kind of lines. And capturing that adolescent mindset, like a loner loser, yeah. you know what I mean? She's so out of my league kind of thing that so many kids, you know, deal with and, you know, feel. Mm-hmm. So the line, yeah. don't, don't, don't say hi then mm-hmm. she's riding the bus. She's not, she's not that, she's not that great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. Um, Wayne, what's your what's your score on Kiss Me on the Bus? Seven. Ricky? Six. And this is my eight. I always love this song. All right. Um next song, Dose of Thunder. And I already mentioned the live at Maxwell's record. Um, this song is extremely punk on that. Oh, I bet. Given that, given that it's more of the punk rock um, sensibilities, Wayne, I thought that this was going to track better for your scores. No, and here's the thing: I, this one is one that feels like it was written to give Bob Stinson uh, to help him feel like more part of the band. Cause at this point, the the reason that some of the guitar tones are going to sound one way and some aren't is because Paul Westerberg is starting to play more and more guitar. Ta- uh, Ta- Tommy Ramone does the solo, I think on kiss me on the bus. So other people are starting to pay, oh, yeah, play more guitar because Bob Stinson is becoming harder and harder to deal with. And this right. song, if it's not necessarily for Bob, then you got to remember that Tommy Ramone is the guy producing this. And so it felt while it feels totally punk rock and I absolutely love this song. Um, I also have, you know, grown up and, and begun to appreciate Paul Westerberg as a songwriter. And when I think when they get in that, that middle ground, you know, that's not sorry, Ma, I didn't, you know, I forgot to take out the trash and, and a little more towards, you know, pleased to meet me. And, and so I appreciate that more, but I, I do love this song. But it's a, there's a lot of drug reference and it's super punk rock and it felt it did feel like it was specifically 
written to give Bob Stinson something to grab onto. Yeah. I love this song. It makes me, you know, party's the right word, but it has that party. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, man, we're about to go. Lots of air guitar. Big big swings with the, yeah, I love this. It just kind of gets me pumped. Um, And it reminds me of Jay Joyce. Um, I I can, I can kind of picture him singing it. Um, And it's always just kind of got me pumped up. Um, And the reason like my score isn't like quite that high is because there's so many other great songs. So it's just kind of, it's kind of a tough one for me. Nope. Totally get it. What it, what is the dose of thunder? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it women? Is it all of the above? It could, I mean, say he, he specifically mentions eight ball, but I mean, I I don't know that it's not. Yeah. I think it's everything. It's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Leaning towards probably cocaine, but yeah, Yeah. all of them. A high of sort. Mm -hmm. Well, it was 85. So yeah, it was probably Coke. Um, (laughs) All right. All right. Scores. Uh, Ricky, what do you got on the, on dose of thunder? I got four. And Wayne. Uh, three. And this is my two. All right, next song, Waitress in the Sky. One, two, three, four. You know what I was hoping from that, from that, uh, from that book, Wayne. I was hoping that there was some kind of story that told me that well, this are. song was yeah, based on a true experience. They, those guys rode uh, rental vans and and box trucks and motor. They these guys, the replacements didn't fly anywhere. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why I'm like I was hoping that it was based on a true experience. Of well, his sister, his sister was a flight right. attendant. And and I guess he got uh, he heard a lot of her stories. Um, he kind of took on that character as those dickheads. Yeah, there were a couple of stories that I there. You can tell that I have a sister. I have two sisters, and so it's 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 not always there's there's there is can be contention. It sounds like he has a there are contentious uh, mm-hmm. moments with his sister. So he took he easily took on that character. It feels like, and even maybe. I guess one of my criticisms of it is it felt like it got a little mean spirited at in points where mm-hmm. I think it was because I think of the I do love this song. I think of it every time I fly. I every time I fly, <laughs> I think about this song and I start smiling. Yeah. I think as as a what a great concept. You know what I mean? What a great idea. You know, whether or not he seems to be that kind of person, but you know, like, like Wayne said, he's like, we were always just driving in vans. We didn't fly anywhere, especially first class or, um, but as a songwriter, like taking that perspective and writing a song about it, and it's so lyrically well-written and the cadence of it and everything, um, is just so well done. I mean, it's so well done. I'm a big fan of the song. Yeah. 
Now, Wayne, are you talking mean-spirited when he's comparing the waitress in the sky, the flight attendant to sanitation expert and a maintenance engineer? I, I just, yeah, you know, who it's get, there's a lot of who do you think you are in it. You know, you're just a waitress yeah. in the sky. Um, but it, I think it is clever. And I can absolutely see him with a homemade sign smoking a cigarette in, in, in the <laughs> emergency aisle of an airplane. I just don't even like, – I can see that every time I, 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 listen, I hear this song. I'm surprised you don't have you don't have a shirt right now that says I'm sorry I'm smoking. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be a great shirt. I quit quit smoking I'm years really ago. Su- I know you have. I know you don't smoke anymore, but <laughs> come on, you know. I know I know there's all sorts of t-shirts from the 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 mid 90s. The the, the free Joe Camel uh, t-shirts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those would probably be mediums. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to wear those anymore. All right, uh, Wayne. What do you got for a score? Waitress in the sky. Uh, as much as I love this, um, it's it's a victim of of so many great songs. I gave it a four. All right, Ricky. Nine. And this is my six. All right, next song is Swingin' Party. Wayne, I saw one of the greatest memes ever about this about this particular song. Um, it showed somebody who is wearing a lampshade, and the meme says, "Somewhere there's a party." <laughs> so only only us replacement fans would completely mm-hmm. understand it. And I absolutely loved it. I'll yeah. have to find it and send it over to you. That's um, great, West. Westerberg said of this, he said, one of the reasons we used to drink so much is that it was scary going up on stage. That's one of the things Swingin' Party is all about on the album, how it's a little frightening to put yourself on display all the time. So, Yeah, and that's why, and like I had read that too, and that's why uh, the line, if being afraid is a crime, we hang side by side, that really feels like, the, you know, all of them. That, that has a very, like, that's got a very powerful, like we're all in this together. <laughs> even if, even if we're scared, even if we're, even if, even if we're going to, we're going to hang for it, we're going to do yeah, it together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this song, this is one that just rose. It, I originally had it much lower and I feel like Bob Stinson had to have just hated this because it, it is much more, it's, it's very far from those. Sorry, Ma, I forgot to take out the trash and stink days. It's, it's, it's much more advanced. And this is just one that crept up on me. I mean, those lines about, you know, uh, being strong's your kind, then I need help here with this feather. There's just there's a lot of very clever, cool lines in it. It just grew on me as as it went along. Ricky, what do you got on this one? What, oh, I was just going to say I could not agree more. I mean, just my first thing I listen to when I listen to a song subconsciously is melody, and then right behind that, I'm almost tied for you. The first thing I listen to is the lyric. Just being 
a simple songwriter. It's just what I've always really been into. And some of those lines just kind of like floor me. Um, and I think this is when kind of we talked about earlier is when he was getting more and more brave with writing songs like this, especially with a musical approach like this. So the lyrics were more on display as opposed to being buried behind loud guitars and drums and, you know, screaming tempos and all that. Um, this is a, this is a great song. I mean, just from top to bottom and, um, um, it just, I don't know. It's a big one for me. You guys want to take a guess at what the most listened to replacement song is on Spotify? Swinging party. It's this one. <laughs> There's no yeah, way. It's this one. Really? It's this one. There's you want to know why? I'll tell you the reason. That t-shirt. So Lord, no Lord, <laughs> but that, that would be oh, a great t-shirt. She covered it. Lord covered this. This was the B-side to her single Tennis Court back in 2013. Wow. And because she covered this, people were like, hey, I want to go check out the original. Um, 17 million listens on Spotify. Tell me what the next closest is. Androgynous with 13 million. Oh, you're cheating. You're looking. <laughs> because of Miley Cyrus's cover, I'm sure. Does does she have a cover? I don't know. Well, they did. They did perform it. Her and like Joan Jett. I don't know if it was. Think Joan Jett has had this in her. Joan Jett has had this in her set list that, for okay, years. Okay, that would explain that then. Okay. Yeah, I've seen Joan Jett uh, I, three or four times, and especially and a couple of times, like probably in the late '90s, early 2000s, when she was doing like you know Indian casinos and stuff. And uh, yeah, androgynous is. Is she? That was one I. Every time she's ever played, I've heard her do that. Okay. Well, I was floored. I, I, I was expecting it to be "Can't Hardly Wait" mm-hmm. or Alex Chilton, but it made sense too. Yeah, both of those are around ten million. Unsatisfied, five million. Um, which is just a travesty that more people are not listening to Unsatisfied because yeah, that's crazy. I freaking freaking love that song. All right. Um. Scores. Ricky. 10 for me. Wayne. Oh, nice. Uh, I five. <laughs> Dang Wayne. Yeah. No, and I, yeah, I have a lot of good things. I to hate say. my score. Well, if you're, if you're going to give him crap, mine's a four. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I get it. I love it though. I do love the song. Like All I say, right. I think this album finishes strong. I mean, uh, it oh, gets sure. really good from here. I mean, there's with with maybe one exception. Yep. All right. Bastards of Young is next. We've only had a handful of songs that have been completely unanimous. I thought that this song was going to fall into that category, but Ricky had other plans with his scoring. Surprised us. Which, 
it's it's all good. It's all good. So I'm throwing that down. This is my fa- this is my favorite song on this re- on this record. This is my favorite replacement song. I think it's the birth of alternative rock. Um, I mean, when you hear the term post punk, I think this is this is the song I think of. Um, it's musically yeah. very aggressive, but yet well done. And then lyrically, I think it's as strong as anything. Um, I the, one of the lines I've always related to is the tax deduction line income tax deduction one hell of a function um there's just Uh this all of this angst and anger and confusion wrapped up very well in this song um the line about picking cotton is i think one of the the most interesting ways to say it's still it could be worse um but he Uh just has so many great lines i mean the being you know my age uh ben's age that that being caught feel like you know because the baby boom is the, there's the greatest generation and then the baby boomers. And then here we are. We did eventually get a, a name, uh, Gen X. But I mean, before that, we had no really like we had nothing to to, to pin on our generation. And I don't know that we ever really did. Uh, so there's I, I, I relate to this uh, so well. And I, I just this is this is my favorite re- replacement song. Boom. Mic drop. OK. Damn. Ricky, what do you got on this one? Absolutely love this song. Absolutely love this song. Um, and I like what you said about, you know, the beginning of like alternative rock and stuff like that. And um, I think if you listen to music in the 90s, or if you listen to, I mean, it's still happening now, just bands that are just eating this up and tearing it up, whether or not they know it or not. Um and it's kind of one of those things that pissed Paul off, I'm sure, too, um, like we talked about. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> you know, you covered it well, Wayne. <laughs> Thanks. I would say one other thing. So you guys already talked about the, you know, that they kind of sabotage their own career. They sabotage it definitely with the video. <laughs> so, you know, the video is shot in black and white it's it's just a stereo system playing the song you don't see the band you see one guy enter the frame he's smoking a cigarette you never do see his face and then he comes over and then kicks over the speaker and leaves and that's that's the video and i'm with and i understand i'm fine with all that because to me that is very punk rock like everybody's making videos it's all about how pretty you are these is a, besides Tommy, this is a group of not, not attractive people. And I don't mean, and I mean no disrespect to them, but yeah. that's, they said, we're not going to make videos in the, and the, and Sire said, yes, you are. And so then this was what, so they, they, they screwed them and they made a video without them in it. The way they killed themselves was setting things on fire, getting, getting kicked off of tours of people that could have helped them make them famous. This, I thought not making videos was fucking cool that I thought uh-huh. that was, that was punk rock. That was like, we know what we're doing and we're doing it on purpose. All that other stuff did come off a little bit as fear of success. This, this not making videos came off as being, as being badass and not caring what anybody thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there is any like regret in that now, knowing what the MTV era came to be. You know what I mean? Um, from the band, like say Paul or whatever. Uh, but I agree with you because 
there's nothing worse than making a music video. There's nothing worse. <laughs> and you guys have made a few. Yeah. Yeah. And they, those things are just like, yeah, those things are forever. I mean, if you make a bad music mm-hmm. video, uh, it's that's on YouTube forever. Right. Yeah. Billy yep. Squire, we're talking about you. <laughs> Killed his career. Yeah. All right. I already mentioned this is my 11. Wayne. Uh, this is also my 11. Like I say, with all of the disillusionment and the confusion, there's a fierceness to it, like a, a, a will to survive no matter what. Yeah. You're going to think I'm an idiot. And I, it is one of my, I would say, one of my all time favorite songs. But for some reason, I just, it landed at seven for me. And I don't really, and I think what it's going to be my 11 and all that might not be such a surprise or might be like, I can't believe you picked that. But I don't know, but I'm with y'all. This is, this is the, I, I spent a lot of time scoring this, you know, like trying to be like completely honest as far as like where I'm coming from as a listener and a fan. So it's like, I'm here. I'm like, God dang, I didn't pick that. I didn't, I didn't go that high. I went super low on that one. <laughs> no, it's all good. You, you don't yeah. get any extra prizes if you follow me and Wayne's <laughs> And this is all this this is all about your favorites. Yeah, this is all personal. All right. Next song, Lay It Down Clown. on a uh, replacements um, forum and somebody asked what's your very most favorite thing about the song lay it down clown user kgp said the skip button (laughs) i I, I would say paul's piano this is the one song on the record that i i do skip i will freely admit it's it's not my favorite um this is the one blemish on the record to me. Yeah, the piano part is pretty cool, though. I wouldn't know because I don't listen to it. Yeah, I, I think that's what's funny is, yeah, and I this is the one that I definitely think, and not only do I think it was written for Bob Stinson to give him something to play guitar over, but I, I think it may, it honestly sometimes sound feels like a a, a commentary on Bob Stinson because I know that this, yeah, yeah. And so I think it was directed towards Bob. Yeah, I, I, I get it. This is the one that I feel like is they had passed writing these songs and he did it. Like I say, possibly to make Bob Stinson have something, something to do when he was in the studio. Cause I know this, I mean, mm-hmm. this it was after this, he was, he was kicked out of the band. So it was a lot of yeah. the stuff that happened here. Cause I, I don't know, was he still working as a pizza cook? Like, I think he never quit his day job. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Now I got to read Trouble Boys. It's been like five years since I read it. So, Man, it's great. Or you can just, t- I took a real long time to read it, so it's still fresh in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you did take a long time. It is. Uh, I think you started reading that when we first started the podcast over two years ago. Yeah. That. Anyways, all good. 
Ricky, you, you got anything on this one? Oh, I could not agree with y'all more. Um, listening to it today, I remember what I scored it and I kind of wish <laughs> I would have switched to, I remember thinking that this morning, but yeah, I'm not a fan. Um, but, but like Wayne said, I do dig that one two second part of, you know, is it Paul playing the piano doing that? Like, yeah, yeah it's Paul. That piano. was pretty cool. I just don't like, like the background book. It just sounds so thrown together. It just doesn't like a filler. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, we need one more song. It's kind of, you know, yeah. throw this one on and just kind of, it's, that's the, that's the vibe I get. But yeah. what do I know? What, you know, who knows? All right. Scores. I already mentioned this is my one. Wayne? Uh, two. The deuce. And Ricky? Two for me as well. Okay. Left of the dial is next. know who provides some um, some additional background vocals on this song right Wayne oh I just you just made me drop it just dropped right out of my head come on no no hold on. yeah Alex Chilton oh yeah that, that, ah, that was driving um, me crazy till you said that very similar very similar video for this one um, except there's no speaker bashing on that one and of course, left of the dial, that's a reference to all the college radio stations out there, which were typically on the left side of the so, radio dial. What was it out here? KPLU was 88.1. KGRG. Uh, KPLU yeah, was, was classical. It was jet. It was still like. It was still a, KUPS. Well, and then there was also uh, KRG, KGRG, which was. KGRG. Like, yeah, 89.9. Green River. Yeah. Still around. Really? KGRG is still around. I che- I checked it out this uh, this this uh, afternoon, and it's still around. Still still doing college radio music, community college radio. Just to be fair, I didn't know any of the bands. What does it sound? Didn't know any of the bands that they yeah. were playing. But um, you know, interesting. Yeah. Let's see. This is what Westerberg had to say on on this particular song. He said, "Left of the dial is the story of this girl, a guitar player." Lynn Blakely, who toured with Mitch Easter's Let's Active. We got to be friends. She wanted me to write her a letter, but I never write letters. I figured the only way I'd hear her voice was with her band on the radio, left of the dial on a college station, and one night we did. We were passing through a town somewhere. She was doing an interview on the radio, left of the dial. I heard her voice for the first time in six months for about a minute. Then the station faded out. Gosh. That's so good. Hmm. So that's that's the the impetus of of I, this song. And I will say though, "Sweet Georgia Breezes." There's no way that's not a reference to REM. Sure. Uh, and them both, yeah, them both being, I mean, and REM more so, the face of college radio. Like absolutely, when it was a thing, REM was yes. the face of college Very radio. Very much so. Yeah, they were the the 
golden children of college radio. And, and I think Paul too had that not hate, but you know, and maybe not jealousy, but maybe it was, maybe it was. Um, Cause you know, I definitely think that, especially in that book, he talked a lot about like, you know, not wanting to use the same producers and not wanting to do what REM did because they had success with that. And I think there's a lot of animosity and like resentment. And I think it started with Peter Jesperson became their road manager, I think for a tour and it started there and then they're getting, That's exactly what happened. Yeah. you know, they got signed to the big label um, and they're getting, you know, but they, they didn't, you know, to, to their, to, to their credit, they never sabotaged themselves. They worked really hard and not that the replacements didn't work very hard. Yeah. It was just that they, they worked really hard at getting drunk and worked really hard at making people upset and uncomfortable. Uh, and so, but there is definitely some animosity from, from several things. And there's I, the great love, the part that another part that made me laugh out loud in that book is when Bob Dylan shows up at the studio when they're in LA recording and he says, my kids love you. You guys are REM, right? And I just, I couldn't even, I could not fucking believe that they put that in there. And luckily it turned out that Jacob did. But yeah, Jacob, was, Jacob Dylan. Dylan was a fan of the replacements. But, right. Uh, that had to fucking hurt. But that's something totally, so- <laughs> God. And, you know, Bob being an old dude then, you know, something that an old guy would just say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was perfectly placed too at the end of the book. Cause you kind of through the whole thing, you feel this, you know, there is some professional jealousy that's happening and then just to get kicked in the balls by Bob Dylan at the end, that was rough. Something tells me Tom Petty put him up to him yeah. after that <laughs> after that tour. That's right. Uh, maybe so. Probably. All right. Um, scores. This is my nine. Wayne, your score? Also a nine. Ricky. Oh, you're going to hate me. Five. I, I do love this song. I am probably going to judge you harsh on the next song, though. Oh, well, we'll see. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Next song is Little Mascara. You guys heard the cover from Bill Janovitz from Buffalo Tom? You heard his cover of this one? I have not. It's good. Um, but Shane Nicholson, do you guys know Shane? Australian singer? Mm-hmm. Go check it out. Okay. Great cover. Very stripped down. Um, but what if I don't like the song? Well, then, <laughs> then, then I guess that that was a comment for Wayne, not for <laughs> What is it? What is it about this song that you don't like? Again, for me, I can't get past, and this is stupid, but you know, certain things just you can't get past. You know, whether it be music or anything, I, I'm just not a fan of the way it sounds. I'm not a fan of the, some of the guitar work. Um, just doesn't do it for me. So. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, I, and that, I give Wayne I I give Wayne crap all the time because he um he he really nitpicks on the tambourine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just hey, not if it's done right. I will compliment a well done tambourine every single time. All right, yeah. Wayne, tell Ricky why his score sucks. <laughs> oh no, I and he he yeah he's. His score is is low, I would think. I, to me, but I do. I even feel like this isn't the greatest song, but it has a lot of personal. It, it gets me personally, and I do. I, I do think that he does it as, as it well. And I think there's a there is something about the way he he's written it where it's not. Po- you're not positive. Clearly, the girl um, has been married. That guy's not worth it. He's not worth crying over. Is is Paul? You know, is the is the guy singing the song? Another guy that's you know that's also got his issues. I mean, it, it, it's it's more complex, I think, than it looks on the on the outside. Um, but to me, it's that that personal feeling of the you know this the girl who's who's wasting all these tears on this guy that you know what it was just a way to get out of the house. It was just a way you know it was somebody you know, girls do whether they like to admit it or not. Often like boys that their parents don't like and it has a lot mm-hmm. of you know like i say references to babies it, it, it's got a lot of personal it has a personal feel to me yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree with that i mean lyrically I, i'm a fan um it's just i don't know doesn't do it for me musically so i have you know doesn't set it up the way i'd like it to but it's all good at least it's not laid down clown. All right. Little mascara. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is my seven. Wayne, your score. Eight. And then Ricky. That's a one for me. All right. It's okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, on a record that contained lay it down clown, I find that hard to believe that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I mentioned that earlier. All right. Uh, let's wrap this up. So here comes a regular. This was written about a South Minneapolis bar called the CC Club, which was a frequent hangout for for them. Um, yeah, and it was near, I guess, near the record store, the or I don't even know how to pronounce that. Do you know what I'm talking about? The or folk. Yeah, yeah, it's Peter Jesperson's record company, our record store. That was the one. That's where it all where really they, it all started. That's where they all migrated. Kind of where Paul did Paul work there, or did he just kind of hang there? I yeah, I think he just hung out there. He was probably mm. the Jack Black character. He probably hung out and right didn't 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 get paid, but he just showed up every and day. just yeah and judged everybody. Absolutely, yeah. This song 
is everything for me. I mean, this is as good as it gets for me. I'm just a massive fan of the song. And we've tried to figure out a way to work this into our show, um, kind of with some, just kind of finding an interesting way to do it with some harmony stuff, nothing crazy, but just like a fun way to do it. And, you know, we've tried covering um, more obscure songs and the people that get it are just like ecstatic and they're just so pumped you're doing it. And then the the majority of the people that don't like, what the hell is this? You know, but I think this song is so well. Give us guitar d- man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I highly doubt we'll be playing that live. I don't think we could. Um, but it's just the, it's one of the best written songs, in my opinion. Absolutely in love with it. Yeah, I my in my notes, the first thing I wrote is this is the best song on the record. It's not my favorite song on the record, I uh, but it is. I feel that this is the best song on the record. I I we we I think the three of us could do an episode all by itself just on this song. I think lyrically mm-hmm. there's just, just and the way it's done. I mean, this is all Paul, um, just an acoustic guitar. It only fits at the end. It's, you know, this isn't a mic drop band. This is just a get up and walk away slowly. Uh, but it's just lyrically. There's so many things mm-hmm. in it. There's an entire, there's an entire book in here. And my, one of my favorites is I used to live at home. Now I stay at the house and that, you know, he he didn't he didn't own he yes. didn't have his own place until he got married. Like when he would come back from tours, he would stay at his parents' house. And that crossing the line from 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 it being a home to it just being a house, uh, I, wow! I just that just even thinking of that just is mind boggling. And like, absolutely, uh, we did a we did an episode, and I know Matt Nathanson brought mm. this up, but the the line about there ain't much to rake anyway in the fall. That's when you fucking rake. That's when all the stuff to rake is. And yeah. it's just, ah, this whole song is just one great line after another. And it's, there's, mm-hmm. it's just a totally sincere and it's heart. I mean, there's, it's a heartbreaking story when you, this, you know, this alcoholic at this bar every night with these same people and, and, you know, he hardly knows some of them. And then there's one that he does know and she has to move away uh, it's just there's a whole movie in this one song with these brilliant lines. Absolutely. Yeah, could not agree more. And it's sonically, it sounds like he is like so in the moment. Like this might be like the first or te- second take of the song. You know what I mean? Like in, in a lot of ways, some of the lyrics seem kind of rushed, like pushed and pulled, like he's trying to fit it into the melody. I don't know if that's intentional or not. But to me, it sounds like he had just kind of like written this song, you know, late the night before, brought it in, decided he wanted to try. Like, hell, let's put up a couple mics. And he did it. You know what I mean? That's what it sounds like. And it sounds, his voice is sad. And his voice is, it sounds like he was just there and he happens to be in the studio now. Um, It just captures, like you said, it could be a movie about it. And maybe it will be one day, but... It um, everything about it is just perfect, and I don't think you could try to. They could have tried to capture that a million times, and never would have gotten that vocal. And you know, so it's a one for me. Okay, <laughs> you've already used that one. Yeah, you already used it. Use it again. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I highlight my favorite lyrics uh, for my notes and there's not much white space for this particular song. I mean, I, I've used, I've used the opening line a ton on my, on my kids, you know, when they're complaining about, well, I don't really want to do my chores. I don't want to do my dishes. And I'm like, well, you know, you can work up a mean, mean thirst after a hard day of doing nothing much at all. So I get it. Um, <laughs> and that's great. But my favorite line is all I know is I'm sick of everything that my money can buy. The fool who wastes his life. God, God rest his guts. guts. And he just, and he digs in for that last part. Like the way he says that, yeah. it just, there's something added I'm to it. I'm telling you, it's yes. Just, oh, it's unbelievable. It's almost like he's, he like, he's almost like he's screaming at himself, but like, and he, and he wishes that that wasn't the case, but he just can't change it. There's so many like convictions in it. It just blows my mind. Yeah. This is my 10, Wayne. It's also my 10. Ricky. It is my 11. You've redeemed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so this is the part where I say, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? I think we got the majority. I think we got the most of it. I think we got it. All right. Um, let's look at our top five. Here comes the regular. That's our top song. <laughs> yeah. um, Were we able to save both- Bastards of Young? Yeah, that's that's our second. So here comes a regular gets an average score of ten point three three. Bastards of Young, um, even with uh, Ricky's seven, get, gets us a nine point six six. I'm giving you crap. I'm sorry. Even with Ricky's lame seven, <laughs> uh, left of the dial gets an average score of seven point six six. That's our third with a um, with a seven point score kiss me on the bus gets our fourth we have a three-way tie for fifth <laughs> so hold my life oh, no. waitress in the sky and swing and party are all tied for fifth at a 6.66 or i'm sorry 6.33 average score so hmm. we, didn't, we didn't get a top five we got a top seven which on this record, hey, that's pretty damn good. I'm great with that. Yeah, a top I'm good seven with that. for yeah, yeah, is 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 perfect. Um, Ricky, this was a lot of fun. Ah, tremendous. Man, thank you all so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I was, I was nervous, you know, because talking about any record, especially when fans, big fans of that record, listen to what you have to say about it, you're always like, I don't want to piss anybody off. But I'm also like, man, it's just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or <laughs> Um, once I kind of got that in my mind, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and and it's fun too. Like I might start doing this kind of thing as an exercise just on my own, um, to kind of like break down some stuff and really, you know, get into some records on on a different level. Let, let us know what, uh, what's your 11 on August and everything after, after you're done with that. right now or another time no another time another time just let us know all right um so tell everyone where they can find all the happenings of the wild feathers um on our website we're on every streaming services 
we're um, we're kind of everywhere. But we'll be, we will be putting a new record out this year, um, hopefully late summer, early fall. Um, and we'll be touring throughout, God willing, this summer. And we're, we're going to be doing a headlining fall headlining fall tour this year as well. So, yep, that's it. All right. Last, last, last question we throw out to all of our guests. So, um, who do you know that I don't know that should come on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Oh man, what a great question. Um, are you familiar with Sadler Vaden? Absolutely. No Sadler Vaden. It's fantastic. Um, would, would has he done it yet? He is not. He would be great. Okay. He would be great. All right. Yeah. He's a great, great, great dude and smart man. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, that's who I pick. All right. We'll chat offline. All right. As a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Uh, we're on the socials, of course, Facebook page, just search for records, revisited podcast or on Twitter at podcast records. Um, you can see all the stupid stuff that I'm listening to on a regular basis today. I listened to YouTube's pop for the first time in a couple of years. The verdict still don't like it. All right. Uh, <laughs> Wayne, Wayne Mance, the Instagram page, where can they find us on Instagram? At Records Revisited Podcast. And of course, we're on all the major streaming platforms for podcasts. Uh, please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So if your favorites are out there doing the live streaming thing, yeah, I just use that crappy word, Ricky. Um, <laughs> if any of if any of your favorites are doing the live streams, please go support them and uh, and and tune in. Buy a T-shirt of the band like um, Wayne always does. Buy a record, which um, is what I always do. And I would tell you to go to a, go to go visit a record store and buy a record, but um, well, you still can do that. Just mask up and be safe out there. All right. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. 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 See, I told you it wouldn't be together. (laughs) It never is. It never is.